Hello there, the good evening, and welcome to the locker room here on Indie Live Radio, uh, number one for sport. We are here every Friday night between six and seven. Um, coming up tonight, we have got news on football. We've got another old um, Glasgow derby to look forward to. We've got news on the <coughs> the, the Scottish uh, Grand National this weekend and women's rugby and basketball, and a wee bit of snooker as well to fit in um, in this very, very busy show. So how's it going, Matthew? Did you like my wee cough there when you said Glasgow Derby? I liked how you corrected yourself from old firm. Uh, yeah, yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, suppose, I suppose it's one of those things when we were talking about 55 or 1. It's one of those terms, isn't it? You don't know whether you say Glasgow Derby or oh. you say old firm. <laughs> I know it's 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 a bit like um in Edinburgh you say salt and sauce or you know stuff. But um yeah. well, there's an even better one in Ireland that's uh you know whether you say the word I'm from Derry or I'm from London Derry, it's one of those things that just give you away right away whether you like it or not. Yeah, I know, I know. I don't need to see your passport now, it's fine. <laughs> I'll hear from. Um so yeah, busy week, Matthew again, but um obviously we we would need to uh, say at the very beginning about Hillsborough. Um it's an anniversary. Yeah, I mean, there's two some sort of somber things, and it's to do with sport, obviously. Um, but they're they're quite somber topics to to talk about. And yesterday, you know, on the on the fifteenth was the anniversary of Hillsborough again, which kind of passed. I know the death of a certain uh, member of a certain family has kind of overshadowed a lot of these things. Um, but fifteenth of April, nineteen eighty nine, was the date where. 96 people sadly lost their lives at Hillsborough Stadium and hundreds more were injured during uh, an FA Cup semi-final match Liverpool against Nottingham Forest. Now, you know, it's, it's always interesting to tell this story because I think um, the media in particular, the governments in particular too, are kind of, um, you know, they're quite happy to blame Liverpool fans for what happened. And I know over the past few years you've had newspapers retracting and governments retracting what happened and the truth has came out. But I think it's always important to mention this because, you know, 53,000 fans approximately were in Hillsborough Stadium that day. Um, and to prevent hooliganism, fans for the two teams, which now still happens at FA Cup semi-finals, were directed to our separate sides of the stadium, you know. So Liverpool entered the Leppings Lane end of the stadium, which has became synonymous with this disaster um, they were told you know to pass through seven turnstiles uh, after which only two after which two uh, tunnels once you got into the ground opened into pens and high fences within the stadium so you know you had a lot of turnstiles it narrowed into two sort of uh, sorry you had a lot of turnstiles it narrowed into you know one of seven uh, or sorry, two tunnels. Um, so it's a lot, you know, a lot of people coming through and then congesting into tunnels going into the pens. You obviously had then the fences and stuff uh, to keep the fans off the pitch. But you know, due to limited numbers of turnstiles, a bottleneck formed both outside of the ground and inside of the ground at the Leppings Lane side. By about two thirty p.m., thirty minutes before kickoff. More than half of those fans trying to get into the Leppings Lane stand were still outside. So hoping to ease congestion, the Yorkshire police chief at the time, uh, who's now again famous, David Duckenfield, 
um, decided to approve the opening of an exit gate, exit gate C, at approximately 2.52pm, and 2,000 fans therefore entered through that gate. Um, so although uh, relatively, you know, the side pens aside from that were quite empty, lots of them ch um, headed towards the tunnel and basically uh, filled up pens three and four. Um, which were already at crushing point, really. And as fans rushed to get into those pens to see the start of the game, uh, the crush resulted uh, with people frantically trying to escape. But of course, as the fences were up at the front and as people were coming in at the back, there was nowhere for people to go. And a lot of them were crushed in, sadly. Um, and it resulted in the 96 deaths um, and you know hundreds upon hundreds of people injured. You know, I, I, Initially, a lot of lawn officials believed that the problem was unruly fans and this continued to be government policy and media policy in particular the, the Sun newspaper decided to blame unruly uh, Liverpool fans for the crush and they were blamed and given you know the bad sort of name of this for years you know like I said police blamed Liverpool fans for drunk drunken disorderly behaviour the, um, the Sun further emphasised that. However, calls continued for Liverpool fans in particular and Everton fans and fans across the country for this to be fully investigated and for the truth to finally come out. And these calls for further investigations in 2009 finally resulted in an independent panel being formed to review the, the, the tragedy. And three years later, it was announced that the police had engaged in a far-reaching cover-up given fans uh, the fault of this. The Sun were obviously implicit in that, falsifying reports to hide their own mistakes, like, for example, the opening up of gates that were there for exits were being used for entrances. Uh, the panel found that no evidence of alcohol or unruly behaviour had played a role in the disaster, and it was believed that as many as 41 of the deaths out of the 96 could have been averted by better rescue efforts by police and services as a whole. Uh, basically, in 2012, the coroner's findings that the deaths were accidental were overturned, and it was found that there was fault in place for what had happened. Another inquest began in 2014, and the following year, Duckenfield testified that he'd lied about fans opening gate C, and it was actually the police decision to open up the exit gate to allow the fans in that eventually led uh, to the crush in the central pens. And in 2016, the jury found that the 96 victims had been unlawfully killed, um, especially by the police services uh, decisions that day. And the following year, criminal charges were finally filed against six individuals connected to the disaster. Notably, the police chief faced 95 charges of manslaughter, uh, because, but because of legal issues, he couldn't be prosecuted for the victim who died in 1993 after the event. Um, so again, I think it's it's important to bring up the Hillsborough disaster because there are still some leftovers. I mean, for example, all seater stadiums are the result of that. Um, the fact that the, the fences at the front were removed, things like that were the aftermath of Hillsborough. But it's always important to remember that, you know, on that day in 1989, April the 15th, you know, um, 96 people died as a result of a football uh, a football game that was, you know, largely blamed on the fans, but was actually a government uh, and ultimately police decision uh, on the day that resulted in their deaths. Um, and it's, I think it's important that we remember that on this day as, you know, obviously other things are overshadowing 
the Hillsborough remembrance uh, this year. But it's always important to remember the Hillsborough disaster. Um, and that was why I thought it's important to bring it up today. Um, and that fans have got justice and um, have rightfully seen that the police decision that those day, those on that day resulted in the deaths, not the behaviour of the Liverpool fans. Yeah, yeah. Wait, I mean, I can't, I can't add anything to that, Matthew. You, you did well on that piece there and and all that, and we shouldn't remember uh, about that. Um, the the kind of like house for kind of like disaster. And uh, again, our thoughts and players that are with their families at, at this difficult, uh, difficult time um, as well. Um, this week as well, Matthew, um, we have returned to racism in the game. And I feel as though that we've spent a lot of time speaking about this on the show, but again, we need to hit home the message that racism isn't allowed in football or any sport or any walk of life. And it, um, it goes back to uh, Rangers European game at Ibrox against Sparta Prague in uh, the the Europa Cup. Yeah, I mean, there's there's two things with this, and I think it is important that we keep talking about it because the sad thing is we only keep talking about it because this problem is not going away. Going away, yeah. So, you know, we, I suppose it's important to talk about because some things transcend football and sport. You know, I think... You know, like the Hillsborough disaster, you know, sport is important and it's it's good to release from the everyday parts of life. Mm-hmm. But sport isn't that important over, you know, people's lives as a whole. You know, 96 people sadly passed away at Hillsborough. You know, football isn't more important than life. Um, and in this incident, you know, I, I think racism and dealing with racism is more important than sport generally. And sport can be used as a vehicle. You know, I think as we saw in South Africa during apartheid, I think sport can be used as a vehicle to defeat racism. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like many sporting organisations, um, unlike the British government at the time, who were seen to support apartheid with the Thatcher government, you know, many sporting organisations refused to play in South Africa until apartheid was lifted. So I think sport does have a vehicle in defeating this awful, awful tragedy of racism. Um, and this Rangers incident is tied up in it, you know. So we had the, the Slavia Prague prayer uh, was banned for ten matches after being after racially ab- abusing Glenn Kamara. I find that an absolutely disgusting decision, you know. I think he admitted it; he's been found guilty, uh, or he's not admitted it. Sorry, he said that he admitted being sorry for not going over or for going over to him. So he's not fully admitted he'd, he'd said something racist, but he's apologised for going near Glenn Kamara, which I think is as close as you're going to get to an apology. But I think the problem with this is that UEFA, as a whole, is from a wider incident, UEFA as a whole are quite happy to hand out large uh, fines and large. Uh, bans for players who maybe do something wrong like there was a player recently who was involved in a betting scam and that scam resulted in you know a year long suspension from sport or if you score a goal sorry my call it in a minute no, if, no. Um, <laughs> if, if, if you lift a t-shirt up and you know you've got a slogan on your t-shirt and uh, mm. you get a large ban but if you racially abuse someone on the pitch you're banned for 10 matches not acceptable. Absolutely not acceptable. 
I mean, I, I won't kick you go back in what you were saying here, Matthew, because obviously we can spend the whole show on it and, and, and all that, and it's a big issue. But you and me and everybody else that's listening to this show has been to football games and watched football games on TV. But my point is, um, if you go to the if you go to European games, especially at Selgate Park or Ibox in recent years, UEFA plays as regular before the game. And it's um, you know, um, you know, name that the big football players from all over the world come together and they're saying, Oh, we are gig against racism. Now, now when this kicked, this came out about the guy during the week getting banged for 10 matches, that video from UEFA doesn't mean anything now. Because if it meant anything at all, UEFA would have been UEFA would have been banning him for life or maybe the rest of the season or whatever. You, you know what I mean? So that video that they're playing before the game, that that's only kind of like, oh yeah, we're we're gig against racism, we're got we're gonna cover that up. But technically they're not really doing anything about it. No, you do you know that you're a hundred and ten percent right. Um, because when you think about it, you know, like I said, if you go against UEFA's advertising sponsorships, you're banned for a long time. If you bet again, if you are involved in betting scams, which I'm not saying is right, but if you're involved in those betting issues that UEFA don't like, you're banned for a long time. Now, mm -hmm. as far as I know, UEFA do have a policy where you, you could be banned for a year for racism. That is what you should get if you. If you say anything racist, if you make a racist gesture, if you do anything like that, you should be given the maximum punishment as an individual. Mm -hmm. And then once you receive that ban, you will finally understand when you can't get a club or you can't put food on the table or you can't pay your mortgage because you're banned, you will realise then how wrong racism is. Well, I mean, I mean, just come back to that point as well, Matthew. Like we we spoke about this before. Uh, well, yesterday when we were talking about the show, and the word that I'm going to use for the guy is he he he's just a coward. Because yeah. what why Giggy cover up? Her, you know what why Giggy covers? Um, you know, put his hand over his mouth to say it. Why Giggy no good say it? And you know what? That's why. I mean, I think. You know, UEFA have given him the probably the barest minimum penalty they could have possibly given him. And you know what? I think if education's an issue there, then I could see if the guy was completely ignorant of the situation, mm -hmm. I could see why they might have given a minimum penalty and they might have then said, We'll educate you as a player then and show you why this is wrong. But the fact that he covered his mouth showed exactly what, he knew what he was doing. See, I, I don't like maybe I'm not I'm not gonna disagree with you here, Matthew, right? But yesterday, I think it no, was it Wednesday, the uh, president of the football club came out and said that we're gonna um we're gonna have awareness Cleaning about this, and I say to you, Matthew, you shouldn't need to have awareness cleaning on racism issues, especially well, now, especially nowadays. You know, because you know it's highly going on social media on the TV, and you know, and I, I get and. I know parts of the media were saying, well, at least they came out in Sega, and some people say, well, it's about two weeks too late. Sugar came out, 
uh, two weeks ago on Seget, but I mean, I I just think it's not right for the guy to come out and say that. No, maybe it's just me, but no. I mean, I think I think if awareness was a genuine problem, why would you cover your mouth? Yep. He knew what he was doing. He knew exactly what he was doing. And that was why, and because he knew what he was doing, I think a year ban would have been acceptable in this case. Number two, you know, I, I, I take on board your point that the guy said, the chairman said about uh, awareness training. But I tell you what, that Slavia Prague should be banned from next year's tournament. Not only, just to prove a point that, you know, you can't do these sort of throwaway comments, you know, like, oh, well, even he's sorry. This, even this year's tournament as well, you know. Yeah, I mean, oh, well, he's sorry, so he's accepting his ban, and oh, well, we'll throw in some education here, there, and everywhere. No, they, that club should be forced to do all that they can to eradicate racism, and if the only way to do that is to ban them for a year and say, no, until you sort out this problem or every other problem that appears, these clubs are in danger of being banned from UEFA tournaments for a year, if any racism, racist um incidents happen. That's the only way to take this seriously is to beat beat it out of this game once and for all. But all these bare minimum sort of throwaway comments and you know uh, throwaway penalties that they're receiving. It's not a, it's not good enough on behalf of UEFA. And if I was a black player right now, I would be feeling extremely let down by this football association. And you know, I would start to maybe think about refusing to play in these tournaments. And also Obviously, we can't speak speak about this issue without mentioning the incident between Aaron McCoysk and Neil Lennon years ago. Now, I, I hate to dig up the path, <coughs> the, the path right? But if we're, if we're talking about <coughs> somebody cupping their face, um, so they're putting a hand over their face, that's exactly what happened that night at Selkie Park. And to this day, we dig, We don't know um, what was said. We might know one day when when Neil Lennon or Al McCoy's brings out a book. I'm not really <laughs> sure. You know, but it, it must have been something... I'm not saying it was, was by racism that night, but if he was going to say something, say it without doing, you, you know, without putting your hand over your mouth, you know? Yeah. Uh, I mean, we always... I mean, we always... You're right. I mean, we always we always end up bending this into sectarianism because sectarianism and racism are, I think, conjoined. And I think in Scotland there's this thing where you know racism seen as one thing and Scottish folk aren't very racist, but sectarianism is obviously seen a bit more acceptable almost. Mm. And I think it's the same thing with the SFA as UEFA. You know, UEFA and the SFA and the SPFL. If they're serious about tackling the racism and tackling they, sectarianism, they, yeah, no, so they, I, I feel very kind of passionate. It's like put my hand up. Can I speak now? But it's yeah, like, yeah, no, cool. But but the SFA they don't do anything of you because you know they're quite happy. Was it four times a season or something? Twice a season when both teams, you know, Celtic or Rangers or uh, Rangers and Habs or Celtic and I don't know, Ross County come out the tunnel and hold up the red cards, but nothing happens. Oh, I, I mean, the SF, I mean, like the UEFA, in fact, I'd say they're exactly the same sort of situation. Like UEFA, the SFA have had the opportunity to stand up and be counted and tackle sectarianism slash racism head on. They've had countless opportunities to do it. 
And the worry is that UEFA in this situation and the SFA and the SPFL and the other situations almost don't want to make that big decision and that big moment where you can finally draw a line under racism and sectarianism and say no more is going to be accepted in any form. If you do that, you'll be banned for a year or your club will be out of a competition for a year. We're not tolerating it anymore. But UEFA and the SFA and the SPFL just don't want to do it. And yeah, okay, you know, Rangers and Celtic, they, you know, they, they conduct themselves very well in certain situations. But I think all clubs and all football associations now have to just hold up their hands and say, we're going to stamp out this once and for all. And if we don't, or we don't manage it, there'll be con- real consequences at the end of it, real consequences, not insignificant or insufficient sanctions. There'll be real consequences to clubs and real consequences to players that will hit them where it hurts. Ultimately, it hurts them in the pocket. It'll hurt you there if this isn't stamped out. And, you know, while we're, we're pussyfooting around this situation, yeah, stand, taking a knee, standing up, red cards, all this kind of guff, it won't make a difference until people really get the message. Really get the message. I'll tell you something else, Matthew, as well. And we, we covered it last week just before we move on. Um, when we're speaking about racism, uh, the Rangers, Swansea, and other, I think the, um, the latest club could do it as Peterborough, could come off social media. Um, and not post anything on Facebook or Twitter that. But I don't think that will work either. Well, I mean, I I don't want to speak ill of the dead and things like that. I am not. I don't want to begin going down this, but I mean, when you've got someone who sadly passed away, and I do feel sorry for their family and friends and all that kind of stuff, but when you have someone who, you know, has openly said racist things and has openly said yeah. things that aren't tolerable in this day and age, when you say, I'm going to, stop going on to social media because of racism and I'm going to take the knee because of racism and then the next thing you're doing is you're going on social media to, to see how great their life of this person was or you know you're having then a minute silence about this person I think we have to remember that you know are we going to stamp this out or are we just paying lip service to it what do we actually want as a society and for once and all I think everybody just has to stamp this out but at the moment nobody seems to be really wanting to get rid of it we're just playing a game of yeah look at me I'm anti-racist and stuff but nobody feels nobody feels strong enough to finally do something about it and it's about time we all did. And, and um, obviously because of the, the sad passing of um, Prince Philip, the funeral tomorrow, most of the games um, and most of the sport calendar has been moved about. So let's look ahead to the the football this weekend, Matthew, begins in, I think it's um, half an hour after the show, actually. Um, We have got St Mirren against uh, Inverness tonight. Um, As I say, the the games are kind of moved about everywhere this weekend, so just bear with me <laughs> tomorrow. Well, it's, it's, a, it's the joy of this, but, uh, you know, I, like I said, I'm sad to the passing of a member of the royal family, but lots of people have sadly lost their lives in, in yeah. this situation, and yep. games aren't changed for them, so, you know. Nope, that, that's a good point, actually. That that kind of fills up on the show in itself, but I <laughs> I think you're right there. Um, So the games tomorrow... Um. Half five, um, because there's no games, the usual three o'clock, and half five tomorrow. We have uh, St. Johnson against Craig, um, on oh, sorry, there's another game tonight as well, um, Motherwell against Morton, 
uh, tomorrow morning, actually, um, quarter to 12, there's a game kick <laughs> uh, Kamarok against Ming Crows, so you better be up early for that one. And you know, uh, yeah, there's another game to me. I should go, I should go actually dig in order. That that was silly of me. Um, <laughs> fourth against Gundy and Ikig. Um, tomorrow night again, Aberdeen is against Labinskin at half five. Uh, game on Sunday, Skin against Hibs at quarter past 12. Um, and a big a big game on Sunday, Glasgow Gabby, all from game call it what you will. Uh, it's the three o'clock game against Rangers against Celtic, only a small matter of that game. And by the way, sorry if you you've kind of mixed up I've kind of mixed up the times and days, but it's just because of the the up and down ten table that, that we face. Um okay. do you know what? I've I've said countless times about the Grand National this Saturday and it's Sunday now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, I don't know if you want to kick off with tonight's game uh, between St. Martin Levinskin and uh, where we forfeit against Gundy and Ikig. Yeah, I mean, well, St. Martin. I mean, St. Martin's an interesting one because I think St. Martin have the privilege of being so far domestically been the only team who have inflicted a defeat on Rangers this season. So, you know, it, it's quite it's quite a big thing that St Mirren have achieved this year, especially if Rangers go through the rest of the season undefeated. St Mirren will end the year as only team who have defeated Rangers, so that's quite a big thing in itself. And it was sad because they were then edged out by Levy in the last four of the League Cup, so they did the hard work, obviously, and then lost a game they could have won and should have won. Um, but, you know, they were picked for a top six finish in agonising fashion um, a few weeks ago. And, you know, this season, it promised to be a a decent season for, for St Mirren the way it was going, but it seems to have fizzled out and it's in danger of fizzling out. But uh, they're up against Inverness tonight, who won the Cup in, when was it, 2015. Uh, and Inverness will be full of confidence as they look to stretch an unbeaten sequence to nine games. So they're coming into this in good form. I mean, I would. I think on paper, again, you'd always say St Mirren being the Premier League team and being top six potential. I know they didn't make it, but top six material. Uh, they've defeated Rangers this year. They should surely be favourites tonight. But, you know, like I said, Inverness are coming into this in great form. They're, like I said, they're unbeaten. Um, I think it's eight games they're undefeated. could be nine tonight. Um, so they're, they're undefeated for a while. So it's this game does have the potential for an upset because, you know, Inverness are coming into in good form. But you would think if St Mirren played to their potential, St Mirren should have too much for Inverness. But this does have the making of a giant kill in this game. Yeah, of course, and that game's on the TV, so so that will be uh, a, a good game to watch. And, and like you, I've lost track of what games are on TV and what time, so yeah. I have no idea. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, the order, I, I, the order I kind of like wrote this game going on was weeks ago, Matthew. So, so <laughs> I actually can imagine that this kind of line through games and kick off times and and all the rest. Of... And, and do you know what? In true professional fashion, I'm trying to remember the other games you said. Was it far from Dungeon United kick off tonight as well? Um, yeah, um, I, that's commit. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of, yeah, I mean, they earned a, Forfar earned a 2-2 draw at Tannadice uh, just 10 days after Barcelona had uh, famously 
uh, been beaten on that same ground. So, you know, you do have memories. I think that was what it was in 19... They've not met since 1987, so it has been a while. Um, yeah, I don't know. Dundee United are obviously favourites for this one. I think they've had an all right season. I know they've been hot and cold and, you know, they've not they've not maybe been as, as well placed as we thought they would be. But I think Dundee United might have too much for this game. They've obviously... They've got a history in this competition. Uh, they have got to the final many times before. Um, and yeah, Wild Forfer, you know, are are famous for getting a result that time just after Dungeon United had beaten Barcelona, you know, all those years ago. Um, I think it might be too much for Dungeon United or for Forfer tonight. And I think Dungeon United will go through in that one. Uh, Motherwell against Morton. Motherwell won four of the last five. Uh, so they'll, they'll fancy their chances, I think, of beating Morton tonight. Uh, Morton currently are in a relegation spot or playoff relegation spot in the championship uh, they were crushed I think last time 6-0 the last time they visited uh, Fur Park and Motherwell you know while they're down at the bottom of the division they're not in any great danger of being relegated Motherwell therefore could fancy their chances of going on a bit of a run tonight the Scottish Cup's all that's left to them and I can see Motherwell winning that. So, uh, by the looks of it, I could see St Mirren, Motherwell and Dundee United all winning their games tonight. But there is a chance of an upset in the St Mirren and Inverness game. I've just, um, just came across a kick-off times. Maybe to help you, um, if this show goes out with St Mirren and Inverness game, it's already get underway. It's a six o'clock kick-off. Um, so Mirren. don't bet on it. Um, St Mirren, St Mirren all the way. I don't change. My yeah, mind. yeah. <laughs> um, okay, I'll go find Vanessa. No, uh, yeah. <laughs> I think that's a safe bet. Yeah, yeah. One of us will win. Um, <laughs> uh, Marvel Morton um, is a seven o'clock kickoff, and at quarter to eight tonight we've got Forfa against Gundy and Ike as well. So there you go. So that's all the games tonight. Tomorrow um, is. Let's begin speaking about uh, the well t- tomorrow night. Actually, um, well, no. T- see what I mean. Tomorrow morning, um, we've got Kamara Kinman close, and that could be a bit of a funny game as well because Kamara is at the bottom of the table, and it's quite difficult. It's quite funny for me to say this, but even though Kamarok's a big team, but the fight for their lives at the bottom of the table. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I thought, you know, when Tommy Wright came in as command manager, you might have seen a bit of an uplift, but they have been struggling. I think that there's been movement recently. I, I think signs of life coming out of Kamarok, that's the one thing. I would say there are definite signs coming out of Kamarok that they could start to turn the table around um, and Hamilton are the team that's in deep trouble now. But, you know, I suppose we have to spare a thought from Montrose in the sense that, you know, the kickoff at 11.45 on the Saturday is, you know, mm. disgraceful. Um, and the fact is, I think it's, you know, a mere 39 hours after, you know, their, their League One game against Partick Thistle. So they're having to have a big turnaround from playing Partick on one side of the coin to then go up against Kilmarnock, you know, 39 hours later. Uh, the last time Montrose reached a quarterfinal was 75-76 season. Uh, but, you know, that's a long time ago and they've gone 12 matches without a win over Kilmarnock, um, you know, in the games that they finally played against each other. It's not been a regular fixture by any means because the... the because um, obviously they've been outside of the division, but they've not won in 12 games over Kilmarnock. Kilmarnock obviously are having their own problems at the bottom of the table. Uh, they've not been to a Scottish Cup final since 1997, so that's 
a long time ago. Uh, but Tommy Wright, obviously, we spoke about a man ago, did win the tournament with St. Johnson uh, a few years ago in 2014. So he's got experience and um, a winning mentality in the Scottish Cup. I mean, for all Kilmarnock have struggled in the league, I can't see anyone uh, anyone betting against Kilmarnock. I think Kilmarnock will obviously win this game, especially because Montrose are having a pretty bad run of things recently. And yeah, the, the result against Partick this I think, showed how far off the pace they are. Um, so I can't see... I think Kilmarnock will get a bit of respite from their league position and uh, will go through. And I think that the tie of the round, Matthew, with it, um, obviously we'll come on to speak about uh, Rangers and Selkig in a minute, but the tie of the round tomorrow night, um, half five, Aberdeen against Rabinskin. Yeah, I mean, I, I obviously have a soft spot for Livy, but uh, Stephen Glass is taking charge of Aberdeen uh, for the first time. So the new manager inherits the squad. Uh, they'll be feeling a bit better <clears> themselves. You know, they've, they've had back-to-back wins uh, in the Premiership, and that's the first time they've had back-to-back wins since December. So maybe Stephen Glass taking over, even though he's not fully taken over, Um because he was been in isolation, but since he's been named boss, it's had it has has had a bit of a bounce effect results wise. They've won two games in a row. Um, for all the you know alarming headlines about lack of goals uh, about Aberdeen, the one thing I will say about them is defensively they're very solid. They're very sound. They've only conceded three goals in eight games. Um, so. Defensively, they are sound, and Stephen Glass can then build on that um, to maybe bring the more attacking flair into the games. So, Aberdeen coming to that in good form. Livingston, you know, haven't really done themselves justice since the League Cup final. The League Cup final, or since, really, they've not done themselves justice since they got into the League Cup final back in January. But since the final itself, um, they've never really looked a threat. They've, They've been pretty poor. Um, since then they went on a, a pretty bad run of games um, but they did go on a, a, an unbeaten run I think it was was it 14 uh, or a few unbeaten games anyway when um, just before they got to the League Cup final so there are signs that Livingston can do this if they want to but yeah since the League Cup final they've came off the pace a little bit um, I think they've only had they've not had that decent, many decent results uh, Aberdeen have been playing well Going to Patojo might be too much for Livingston this week um, because Aberdeen have been on a good run of form. So I can see maybe Aberdeen having too much uh, for Livingston this weekend. But yeah, like you say, I think outside of the Celtic Rangers game, this has the potential to be the game of the weekend if Livingston turn up. Speak about that all from, uh, well, all from Glasgow, Gabby. There we go in a minute. But one more game, Skindra against Hibs. That's on Sunday at quarter past 12 at Skaton Park. Yeah, I mean, Sunra are the only League Two team left in the competition after after they beat Brora Rangers, just out of coincidence, you know, Brora Rangers were the team that knocked Hearts out in the game before that. So last week we could have had a Edinburgh derby um, if it wasn't for Brora Rangers. But, you know, Sunra showed their metal by getting past Brora an extra time. Uh, Hibs, you know, will... Hibs come into this game on a decent side, a decent run. You know, they, they have ended their 114 weight for the trophy in the Scottish Cup by winning it in 2016. And, you know, they have made a bit of a habit of decent cup runs in recent years, whether it's getting to finals, semi-finals, or, um, you know, winning the competition like they did in 2016. So um, they, they, they have got a love back for the Scottish Cup, I think. Was it eight years ago, near enough to the day? Hibs got through to a Scottish Cup final against uh, 
Falkirk, they came back from 3-0 down to win 4-3. Uh, I took my daughter to that game, so I remember it quite well. A few decent goals, I think Lee Griffiths scored a bit of a storm or so. You know, the Scottish Cup, ironically, has been quite good to Hibs over the last few years, uh, even though they have went, they had went on a 114-year wait. So, again, you know, they're ahead in the race for third place in the Premiership. Hibs have their eye on European football, finally, again. Uh, I think winning the Cup would offer the ultimate insurance. And also, with one of the Celtic Rangers going out this weekend, uh, whoever wins, if Hibs can win this weekend, there's a big chance that they could get all the way to the final and possibly win the tournament. I think Hibs and Aberdeen will be looking at the old firm game and thinking, there's a high chance here that we could win this Scottish Cup because of the draw. So I can only see, again, Hibs winning. So I think Aberdeen will beat Livingston. I think Hibs will beat uh, Stranraer, obviously, on Sunday. And then obviously with either Celtic or Rangers going out, there's a good chance for one of these teams to go on a bit of a run, if not win the tournament. Okay, <clears throat> okay. let's look at the uh, Rangers-Celtic game at Ibrox. Uh, what, uh, on Sunday, 3 o'clock kickoff, of course, that game was moved as well. Um, but one bit of news um, so far um, from uh, Stephen Gerrard, uh, team, and it's not good news for Rangers fans. Rangers midfielder Stephen Jack will miss... Um, Skipping Jack, Ryan Jack, sorry, will miss the rest of the season. And also a big blow is Scotland as well, Matthew, because he'll, he'll be out the Scotland games for the European Championships. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, I mean, for Rangers, obviously, I think it maybe isn't as big a blow as you would think, is just because the season's nearly over for them. But, you know, especially for Scotland, you know, I think it's a big blow. Um, you know, Scotland finally getting to their first tournament since 1997. I think Jack would have been looking forward to that. He, he only returned from a two-month absence in January. Um, so he'd only just came back from injury himself relatively recently. But he broke down again in February after seven more matches. Um, and then obviously the sad news today to say that he won't be back until pre-season training uh, in the summer. So, you know, it's sad news for him. I think he was obviously looking forward to come back to Rangers. He was obviously looking forward to having a chance of playing for Scotland in a major tournament. And the, and the news comes after Scotland forward Ollie McBurney was ruled out for the rest of the season. So, you know, Steve Clark has a bit of injury concerns. There's injury concerns over Kieran Tierney, uh, who's been sidelined by a knee injury. Ollie McBurney now looks like he could be out, possibly. Uh, whether you think that's a good thing or a bad thing, I'm not entirely sure. It depends on your outlook on how you think Ollie McBurney is. But, you know, he is a Premiership player and he is out. And now Ryan Jack will be out for the summer as well. So, you know, while I think Stephen Gerrard will be able to contain uh, not having Jack in the team, Steve Clark will be a bit worried now that three of his big squad players now could be out for the for the Euros in the summer. Yeah, and, and also um, it's the last chance of for Celtic to win silverware uh, last week, but they came off at a good performance against Lebanon uh, last week at Celtic Park. And uh, yeah, this is the last chance to win silverware. On the other hand, it's the last chance, it's uh, continuing on the for the double for Rangers in the Scottish Cup. So it should be a good game at Ibrox. Yeah, I mean, it's the last chance to win. I mean, you know, like we were just saying about Hibs and Aberdeen, I think when this when this draw came out in the hat, I think every other team in the tournament was rubbing their hands together because one of the big guns would definitely be going out. You know, between them, you know, Celtic and Rangers have hoovered up, you know, more cup victories than anyone else, I think. 
you know, Celtic have won 40 and Rangers have won 33 cup victories in all their time. So, you know, I, th- I think, you know, for the other teams, this gives them a really decent chance. Uh, Rangers have obviously won the league. They've, they've only lost one game domestically uh, to St Mirren, like we spoke about earlier on. Their, their team is full of players who are on form and firing on all cylinders. Uh, Celtic, obviously, are 20 points behind in the Premiership. They've not played anywhere near their potential for most of the season. And John Kennedy, you know, I think he'll be thinking, you know, the one chance of winning a tournament could be slipping away, slipping away a little bit when they've drawn Rangers, not only in the Scottish Cup, but they've drawn them at Ibrox as well, where I don't, not many teams have had a sniff of anything this year. Like you say, you know, it's last chance loan for Celtic to win anything and make anything of this season. Steven Gerrard will be going not only to continue a domestic unbeaten run, but they'll be looking to win the double. Uh, it's got a very, very good feel about this game. I think I'm pretty excited to see it. But like I said, everyone else will be watching it thinking, yeah, one of the top guns are gone and we've got a chance of winning the Scottish Cup thanks to that. So Rangers will definitely be favourites. You know, Celtic can never be discounted in the Scottish Cup because Celtic do have a great run in it. So um, it's going to be one of those games. The last game at Celtic Park kind of like petered out a little bit. I thought Celtic were the best team for the first hour. Uh, mm-hmm. But Rangers came back into it a little bit and then were quite happy for the draw. So I don't think the old firm games since Rangers have won the league have been up to, you know, have been up to the typical firm standard really for a while. I think the last, well, especially the last game. And I think the next game will be more of the same. I don't think it will have the same intensity to it. But this game, because of what's at stake, I think you'll see one last hurrah, not only for the Glasgow derby, but you. Um, for the for tournament wise, but you'll see a last hurrah for the season. I think for from a proper old style Glasgow derby. I think uh, this has the makings of a classic. But just out of interest, I had to look at. You know, at the beginning of the season, we done a Rangers Celtic eleven, and we did it back in I don't know July August, and the team was made up mostly of Celtic players. So I thought to myself, mm-hmm. I'll do it now and see how different it looks. And it's all been turned on its head. So there's only a few players left who would have been cho- chosen. So I had to look at it. I had McGregor in goal, and I think McGregor was still in goals uh, back in the summer. But I have right back Tavernier, centre backs Halander and Ayer left back Barisic so when you think about it the Rangers defence have shown themselves up so good that um, they they really control the back line uh, and even Ayer was a bit of a funny one to go in there I wasn't sure whether to put Ayer in there or Goldson so it just shows you Goldson could have easily fitted in there and there'd been no Celtic players whatsoever in my Celtic uh, Rangers Celtic 11 uh, in midfield I've got Davis Turnbull Hadji and Christie and up front Edward and Morello so it does show you how you know Celtic and Rangers Rangers have turned the table on Celtic because before maybe there would have been eleven or eight sorry eight or nine Celtic players in that team. Now it's mainly made up of Rangers players and I think it's been well deserved this season. And I think McGregor or Davis will easily get the player of the year Absolutely. because both of them, yeah, they've been outstanding. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <clears throat> just before we <clears throat> just before we move on to speak about the Grand National on Sunday Matthew, um Couple other bits of news coming out of Hamilton Ackies. Um, Brian Rice and his backroom team have seen a new deal for Hamilton Ackies, so that so that's good to to hear for Hamilton Ackies and uh, for their support as well. Mo- moving on to basketball, then um, the British League tonight is at half. Um, there's a game at half seven. 
so that's half an hour half an hour after the show. Uh, Glasgow Rocks is at home against Manchester Giants. And on Sunday, again, Glasgow Rocks is at home. Uh, they play Newcastle Eagles uh, with a three o'clock uh, kickoff on Sunday. Um, moving on to rugby quickly, um, the Pool A game um, for Scotland this weekend. Scotland needs to win this game because they're in a bit of trouble in the uh, women's uh, Six Nations. They play against Italy at home. And in Pool B, we have got Ireland against France uh, this weekend. And another sporting event kicking off tomorrow, well, I don't know if you can say kick off tomorrow, is the World Championships down in Sheffield. Um, so good luck to all the Scots taking part, like Anthony McGill, Stephen Maguire, John Higgins and Graham Dot. Uh, representing Scotland and um, for the next two weeks at Sheffield and uh, and as we told you last week it'll be nice to see fans getting back back into um, snooker and at the final there's going to be but believe it or not there's going to be a full house at the snooker um, because I'm um, during the two weeks that the fans the they're doing that they're kind of like staggering the fans Matthew so in each round there's going to be you know like 10% 20% and then before you know it full house no I'm not talking <laughs> about the bingo but I'm talking about the snooker there um, so there you go so there's a couple of other bits of spoken news but last week there was a history made in the Grand National because it was the first female jockey ever to win the Grand National, so that was good to see. But this week it is the the can of the Scottish uh, Grand National again. But just as we've told you uh, that the Grand National has been moved from Saturday to Sunday, uh, quarter to four, that is Matthew. Yeah, I mean, it was set for, I mean, obviously, the Grand National normally is on the Saturday, um, but it's been set back one day because of the funeral of uh, Prince Philip. So, you know, he obviously has been, I think his funeral was possibly Saturday at three o'clock. Don't quote me on that, I'm, I'm not 100% sure, but it's Saturday at some point. Um, and the Scottish Grand National was set for 3.35 on Saturday. But the Horse Racing Authority has said that no races uh, will go ahead between 2.45 and 4.15 on Saturday, um, as a mark of respect. So I think there's been other races that have moved. I think in the spring trials at Newbury have also moved to the Sunday. By the way, just to, just to uh, let you know, this, yeah, you're right, the funeral is at 3 o'clock on Saturday, so that's why uh, it's, been, it's been moved. Yeah, so, I mean, the Grand National card as a whole, I think, has been pushed back, so the... The opening fixtures will have already taken place by the time you hear this. I'd have probably lost all my money on the betting. Uh, it started today at one o'clock, so um, that's the start of the Grand National weekend. And like I said, I've, I've had a few horses on for that. So hopefully I'll be you know, in the money and dancing by the time you, you guys hear this. But the chances are I'll be crying into a cup of tea. Uh, after having lost it, yeah, and my wife will be telling me off for wasting all my money with Paddy Power or whatever other bookies there are. So, uh, yeah, there's a, there, there is a chance. Um, but obviously, the, yeah, the Grand National, uh, 
is a very special one. Obviously, the English Grand National was last week. And like you said, we had a, the first female winner, which was really good, although my horse didn't even finish the race. So uh, maybe don't follow my tips. I think it's still running, Matthew. Running, I think it was falling on its uh, derriere. <laughs> oh, was that uh, the name of your horse? <laughs> that should be the name of it. Yeah, yeah. Back. <laughs> um, but, you know, it's quite interesting. It's over four miles here on Sunday. And, you know, and the favourite at the moment is one that I put some money on last week, Strings of uh, And it's probably the most popular winner from a Scottish point of view. I write is uh, a Scottish I runner. Write. I write. I know I'm going to bet on I write. I write. Um, so she's the horse is trained by Harriet Graham um, and she obviously is a Scottish trainer so there's a bit of a Scottish thing I think the horse itself is owned by people in the uh, a family in the borders um, so I think there is a bit of a Scottish backing to this uh, it's a consistent horse uh, it deserves a chance to bring up to win a big one uh, he's, he's finished third at Cheltenham Festival for example off a rating of one by four and I write is the favourite um, at the moment. I think he's about 11 to 2 in Skybet and Paddy Power. So, you know, maybe not for value, but I write is the current favourite uh, for the horse for the for the horse racing this weekend at the Grand National. Sandy Thompson's also involved with Dingo Dollar, uh, is another and it's another horse really who has been rejuvenated um, since since uh, been taken over by Sandy Thompson. So uh, he won his first start for the yard at Newcastle last month. So that's another horse, Dingo Dollar. Uh, Soldier Love is one that I've actually put some money on. So maybe I think I think Soldier Love's about 14 to 1 at the moment and has made the journey up from Somerset for Paul Nichols, who won uh, this who won uh, this race back in 1997 with Belmont King. So this horse has got a decent chance. Uh, was bypassed in the National Hunt chase at Cheltenham due to the ground, but has been really gunning for a start and soldier and love will start uh, the race on Sunday. The weather air uh, looks pretty decent. I think there's not been a lot of rain, but it's been watered, so um, the ground is quite good. And because of that, um, I think the, the the smart money will be going for I right. Don't get me wrong. I think I right's a, a pretty decent favourite and um, is probably deservedly so. But um, at fifteen to two and fourteen ish to one. Dingo Dollar and Soldier of Love maybe aren't too far off the gun really. If you're if you're looking at a, a bet that's maybe a bit out there and not a favourite, Dingo Dollar and Soldier of Love are definitely quite good, especially Soldier of Love if you can get something between 10 to 1 and 14 to 1 for Soldier of Love. Uh, that might be a decent shout um, this weekend at, at the Grand National itself. Um, but there's also another thing happening this weekend. Uh, to do with the UK the jockey championship. Uh, really, I think it's a, it's a pretty close run between Hughes and Skelton. They have a lot of runners this weekend over the over the Saturday. Gosh, I've done it myself. Friday and Sunday. Uh, so if you're looking at the running today and Sunday, you might see who's who's better placed for the jockey championship in the UK this year. But like I said, have a look at some of the horses. Hughes, Skelton, both of them still in the race. And after this weekend, um, it'll become a lot more clear who's going to win that the jockey championship uh, in that regard. So, like I said, they're the ones to, they're the interesting ones. Harry Skelton, Brian Hughes, 
who's going to win that. But the top trainer, uh, Harry Skelton's brother, Dan Skelton, uh, he was on one of the air racing preview shows last night, uh, which I had a wee watch of on via Zoom. Normally it's in person, but it's via Zoom at the moment. And Dan was saying that, you know, Harry is quite confident going into this. So maybe Harry Skelton is the, the better bet from the championship over Brian Hughes this weekend. But uh, yeah, Skelton versus Hughes is the one to watch out for outside of the Grand National itself. And I suppose it's good to see the Grand National, uh, the National Angling uh, Scottish National coming back because was it last year we had the virtual Grand National and there was something a bit weird about that? Aye, I mean, the horse I actually went for on the Grand National this time around won the virtual one um, last time around. Was it Potter's Corner? So I actually went for Potter's Corner last weekend and, yeah, he did win the virtual national. But, um, yeah, it was good to see the Grand National back properly. It's really good to see the Scottish Grand National back because for all of us who like uh, Scottish horse racing, uh, this is the big one, really. So, there's a, like you said before, there's a few... Um, Scottish interests, whether it's horses or jockeys, you know, there's there's a few uh, Scottish jockeys still involved in the race for the um for the not only the, the different gate the different races going on, but the jockey championship too. I think you know we mentioned about Brian Hughes. Brian Hughes is currently the top of the Air Jockeys Championship, with uh, Ryan just behind them on Dirty Victory. So there's all these little intricacies that are happening this weekend just outside the Grand National. That's worth watching, and like I said, uh, you know the Hughes Skelton uh, battle uh, for the, ja- the Jockey Championship is probably the one to watch out for. So, like I said, from by the time you listen to the show, all the races at air will have, will have been, and you know most of the races have Harry Skelton or Brian Hughes in it this afternoon. So by the end of this, you know we'll know which one's closer. But Skelton's on top form at the moment, and. Uh, his brother said he's up for it, so it'll be interesting to see where we're at at the end of play today and on and on Saturday. Yes, I was going to say Saturday, Sunday. And all 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 misses out for the Grand National would be fans at the at these events because this is when you make the atmosphere, especially you know last week when you know the first female jockey came in. You know that that was kind of. I would say that was kind of history in itself, but nobody was there to see it. Yeah, I mean, a lot of things are happening this year that a lot of people won't mm-hmm. be there to see. I mean, the Grand National is one of them. We had Cheltenham only just before that. Uh, the Scottish Grand National is obviously coming up and there'll be no fans. I think Air are looking at having fans back in middle June. So apart from, I think if you're going on Air's site to buy tickets, the only tickets currently you can't buy after June are the Gold Cup uh, the Scottish Gold Cup, the Air Gold Cup is uh, in September and unfortunately that's sold out now and I am lucky enough to have managed to get myself a ticket to it. Um, so yeah, so I managed to get in there to get a ticket for the Gold Cup but that's sadly sold out. And another thing that's happening in June that I don't know how many people will get to go, if any, from the British Isles is uh, the Lions. I mean, that was something oh, yeah. we never mentioned before. Mention that, yes. um, but the Lions are obviously playing Japan first and foremost, at Murrayfield in June. So it'll be interesting to see how many people are allowed into Murrayfield for that. I would imagine you're looking at maybe if football fans, 12, 13, 14,000 football fans are allowed in, I would imagine that there'll be 13,000, 14,000 lucky rugby fans who could go watch the British Lions at Murrayfield against Japan. I can't see many of them being able to travel to South Africa. Um, 
No, but, uh, but you know, there is a chance we'll get to see some of the stars of the tournament at Murrayfield in June. Um, and Japan are obviously no walkovers. They showed in the, the Rugby World Cup in Japan that they're not an easy nut to crack. So um, it'll be interesting to see where they go with that. Uh, and a bit of news actually about the Lions that I forgot to mention earlier on from a Scottish perspective is, you know, uh, Gregor Townsend has been given one of the coaching positions. So, you know, not only has Scottish rugby been honoured to have the head coach of the Scottish rugby team included in that, but it may well mean that because there is Scottish uh, a Scottish coach on the coaching staff, it could well mean that we maybe will see less English players uh, chosen on and and um, and instead have some more Scottish representation on it because you know the British Lions I didn't actually bother with them last time so much because there wasn't a lot of Scottish representation there but if there is more Scottish players getting into the Lions this time around I'd be happy to give it a watch um, and hopefully Gregor Townsend's inclusion in that backroom team um, for the Lions might result in more Scottish players being picked and therefore more of a Scottish interest in the tour uh, as a whole so Fingers crossed for that. Yeah, so um, as I say, it's been a very, very busy show. Don't forget, if you want to email us any views on the racism issue or whatever else we've been speaking about, um, you can email us lockerroomindialives at gmail.com. That's lockerroomindialives at gmail.com. Or you can download the podcast by uh, just going on to the website, obviously you're on at the now, Indie Doc, Indie Live Regular, and just click on the podcast tab and you'll, you'll get us there. So, yeah, so we'll be back next Friday at the same time, um, 6 o'clock, 6 to 7 here on Indie Live Regular. The place, the place to be, Michael. Yeah, it's a place to be, and um, we'll tell you if Matthew's fourth. Is still running backwards next week. Um, <laughs> so I bet you can't wait for that. So have a good weekend um, and, and all that. And uh, we'll see you next week here on Under Live Regular.